Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Advice for young fathers. Get used to working at 80% efficiency for the remainder of your life. Permanent exhaustion will give way in their early teens to permanent worry and anxiety. And once the child is old enough to look after your, itself, you'll have a prostate problem and you won't be able to sleep through the night anyway. So get used to working at 80% efficiency. It's been suggested that perhaps that's not the most loving response to the new father. But our subject uh, this, lunch, <clears throat> this lunchtime is anxiety and stress. And on a much more serious note, a friend who works for Virgin Health I knew I was speaking on this subject and sent me the latest survey of mental health and well-being in England. One in six have experienced a common mental health problem such as anxiety or stress. The prevalence of anxiety has increased substantially since the 1990s. Inevitably, it went up further by 10% during the pandemic. The 2021 survey of children and young people reveals that 17.4% of children, 6 to 16, have low levels <clears throat> of psychological anxiety and stress. And in 2020-21, 1.46 million were referred for psychological therapies. And here is an interesting statistic that four out of ten of the highest level of referral came from London boroughs, with the highest from the London boroughs being Hammersmith and Fulham. So we're dealing with a massive issue, and we're dealing with an issue that impacts the most wealthy just as much as the most needy, and we're dealing with an issue that has multiplied exponentially as we have grown more prosperous and, in inverted commas, secure. We need to note, right as we begin, that some issues of anxiety require serious medical treatment and medicinal intervention. And it may be, if you are somebody with acute anxiety, dogging you, as it were, then 
an appointment with the GP would be a very good thing alongside what we're considering today. And it's worth noting up front, of course, that Sam, some anxiety, if you have the right definition there, is good. Uh, the oldies among us will remember Dylan from the Magic Roundabout. He basically sat at the foot of a palm tree smoking something probably illegal and was thoroughly laid back. But the businesswoman, with no eye on what could happen, will fail, and the father, with no concern for the future of the child, is negligent. So, you know, risk registers and so forth. Yeah, there are important. But today's passage comes as part of a set of four issues and attitudes that undermine and do serious damage to a person's relationship with their father in heaven. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Right at the center of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. And then following the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us four areas that will rot up our relationship with God. Last week, treasure on earth. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth. This week, worry. And there are two parts to what we're going to look at. The first, three stress-busting exercises. The second, one anxiety-arresting priority. Let's begin with the stress-busting exercises. And they're there in verses 25 through 30, you might say there's more to life than stuff. So the first exercise comes in verse 25 and 26. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? But this is a study of relative value. And Jesus wants to get out our binoculars to head to the park or the marshes. This weekend, I'm told, was Garden Bird Study Day run by the RSPB. Jesus wants us to look at our bird table. Consider how they fare. The migratory pinkfoot, the flocking goldfinch, the murmuring starling. They don't have barns. They don't have financial advisors. They don't have portfolios or pension plans or nest eggs or annuities. They don't have stress. Our Heavenly Father feeds them. It's important we note that it's not that they don't make provision for the future. They really do. I mean, some of them migrate halfway around the world, and you may notice that the blue tits in your garden have already begin, begun planning their nest sites for spring. And it's not that they don't work hard. I mean, think about the swallow in the summer, up at 4.30, buzzing in and out of its nest and running right the way through till after nine o'clock. But consider the birds for a moment. Ponder their existence. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Think of your relative value, our relative value, to that of the birds of the air. So in the book of Genesis, God looks at all he's created. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Then, as the pinnacle of his creation, he creates, he creates humanity in his own image. God created him, male and female, he created them. And then he says, behold, it was 
very good. The psalmist in Psalm 8, what is man, humanity, that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. Is God not concerned for us, our Father in heaven? So God, our loving Father in heaven, he knows what we need, and God, our loving Father in heaven, will provide. First, stress-busting exercise. It's really a study in relative value. Look at the birds of the air. Are you not of more value than they? The Father feeds them. Notice it's not what we need. I'm sorry, notice it's what we need and not necessarily what we want. Now, all of us will have seen city workers take considerable reductions in salary, status, and station. They haven't suffered unduly. And how do any of us know that God does not have for us a role and a position of fruitfulness that as yet we have no idea about in a place or position which the world considers lesser, but will ultimately bring fruit and eternal reward. Think of the apostles. They stepped right down. Think of Jesus. Now, I was speaking on uh, this passage way, way ago, back in the early 90s, to a group of 20 to 30-year-olds, and right from the back of the room, there was a lad sitting there, and uh, he shouted out, what about the sparrow? And I had not got a clue what he was thinking, what he was thinking about. So I said, well, what about the sparrow? To which he replied, well, they die. Yes, indeed, I gave a totally inept response, but I've thought about it every time I've taught on this passage since. They do fall, but God also knows when the time is for us to die. And I think I used to think that it might be a bit of a surprise to God to meet me on the day of my death. What are you doing here? But he has that planned as well. So look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father feeds them. The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven... There's more to life than stuff. Well, the second stress-busting exercise comes there in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So if the first is a study of relative value, this, I guess, is an analysis of investment return. What can you actually achieve with an investment of deep anxiety? What do we actually gain? And here we're considering our life. The word for life can also be translated stature or height, and the word for hour can also be translated cubit, which is a measure of 18 inches. So this sentence could read, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life? Or this sentence could read, which of you by being anxious can add 18 inches to your height? Try it. Whichever, the point is absolutely clear. We can't alter the number of years we live by worrying except to reduce them. We can't grow by worrying. Again, this isn't kind of a kuna matata, you know, a whole life, uh, whatever it is, strategy, head to the beach for a barbie and no worries, mate. It's rather, what's the point of worry? 
it achieves nothing. And so here's another exercise to engage in when we're anxious. It's often sort of three to four o'clock in the morning, isn't it? I find many of my very best ideas come then. I wake up and think to myself, what on earth were you thinking? Tunneling through under the Atlantic to start a new church in Washington. I mean, that's the sort of idea that comes between three and four o'clock in the morning. But next time you're awake at three to four o'clock, in the morning, and anxiety begins to eat at you, try a different strategy. Try growing. It'll achieve just the same. I was trying it at 3.30 this morning. Can I add 18 inches to my height? Of course not. So a relative value study, and then an analysis of investment return. Our worry can achieve precisely nothing our anxiety is actually, perhaps, us punching above our pay grade. <laughs> I think I can achieve something by worrying. The third stress-busting exercise is fashion. So, from verse 28 through verse 30... Well, go and buy a copy of Cosmopolitan or L or GQ or Esquire. And making sense of 28 through 30 needs some understanding of kind of desert ecology and of Solomon. Not a lot, but a little bit. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? <laughs> so then the grass grows up in 24 hours. Sometimes the overnight dew is enough to bring it out. Within 24 hours it's gone. The sun has burned it off. But look at it. The grass and the lily tuber, they lie dormant. They weather the hard times of drought, a sprinkling of rain, they're up and they're gone. But look at them. We've moved from ornithology to botany. And then think of Solomon. I'm reading about Solomon uh, in my own personal study at the moment. There's never been anyone like him. His wealth eclipse Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos put together. Solomon made Silver, as common as stone in Jerusalem, he had wealth, wisdom, and warriors. He excelled all the kings of the earth in his riches. The whole earth came to Solomon, and each visitor brought silver and gold and garments and myrrh and spices and horses and mules year after year. So head to Milan. Peer into Versace's showroom. Download the report on the Duchess of Cambridge's January wardrobe. Take a copy of this month's Vogue. Not one of them is arrayed as beautifully as the lily. We try to ape the flowers of the field, <laughs> but if you'll forgive me saying this, I hope you don't find it too insulting, we fail. And the lily doesn't toil or spin. The lily has no loom, no team of designers, no it girl on the catwalk, no ripped male model. Will not God much more clothe you? 
O you of little faith. So three stress-busting exercises. Get out with your binoculars. Have a look at the birds. God looks after them. Try growing. You can't do it. Head into the garden or even grab one of these. Have a look at this lily here. It doesn't try, it just grows. And what do they all have in common? I think the thing they have in common is this. Look, there's more to life than stuff. What's the difference between the birds in verse 26 and the lily in verse 28 through 30? At first glance, they appear to be much the same. It's just the last five words. Oh, you of little faith. Don't you actually believe that you have a father in heaven? And he's looking after us? And he's good? And he cares? Don't you think you're more valuable than the birds and the flowers? What can we achieve through worrying? Trust him, our Father in heaven. So we move from the stress-busting exercises to an anxiety-arresting priority. And really, I think there are two parts to this. First in 31 and 32, and then in 33 and 34. So 31 and 32 looks at the nations, the pagans, you might say, the unbelievers. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So let's consider the nations. Let's consider the pagans. Let's consider the secularists. Let's consider the atheist. Let's consider the person who has no knowledge of a father in heaven who loves them enough to send his son to die for them. Pity the poor atheist. I mean, has it occurred to you that the more we remove from a culture the reality of a God in heaven who cares, in whom we can trust, the more that culture will be bound up in stress. I mentioned my friend in Virgin Health who pointed me to the survey of mental health and well-being, and I thought about this and have thought this for quite a long time. But has it ever made you wonder that the exponential increase in stress and anxiety is an inevitable result of rejection of God? Of course. Uh, Because if all you've got kind of for you is rearranging the pebbles in the bowl and you're shutting yourself off from the one outside who loves and cares for you, inevitably your whole life becomes anxiety-ridden. But when you're connected, when we're connected to the one outside who loves us and cares for us, who looks after us and orders us, then stress is reduced. I wish someone would conduct a kind of parallel study. How does the graph of increased anxiety look against the graph of decreased 
Christianity. And I think you'd find them going like that. As we cease trusting in the Father in heaven who has shown himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, oh, the weekend supplements, they grow bigger and more stress-inducing. Oh, our teenage children, they become more and more anxious. Oh, yeah, our old age and the possibility of a pandemic sends us into a tailspin because we have no trust in a father who cares. Pity the poor pagan. Pity them. Don't be like the pagan, but verse 33, the anxiety-arresting priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours. The word to seek is a very strong word. Putting the word first, seek first, straight afterwards, makes it an absolute priority. To seek his kingdom is to seek his king and surrender to his rule. And to seek his righteousness, well, righteousness is the word for a right standing before God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. Remember how the sermon began? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be satisfied. Remember how the sermon goes on? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not have a place in heaven. Remember what Jesus says in the very next chapter, ask, seek, find. Knock on the door, it will be given to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you because you'll be under the rule of the Father who loves and cares and knows and orders an anxiety-arresting priority. He loves us. He died for us. He cares for us. He's watching over us. He will bring us home. Now, I don't know, does your computer have one of those reset buttons that when everything has gone horribly wrong, you just press the reset? Um, I do this regularly, and the IT people get utterly fed up with me, and then I get a rocket, and it lasts for about six months to a year, and then I do it again. Does your computer have one of these reset buttons? Is it time for a reset? Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, these things will be yours as well. He knows what we need. He will provide. He's very good at it. He shows it to us in creation. Will we trust him? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for King Jesus, for the righteousness that he makes available to us. Please help us to seek first his kingdom and to trust you for all these other things. In Jesus' name, amen.